You're listening to an episode of Women Taking the Lead with Jody Flynn and Jennifer Brown of Jennifer Brown Consulting. Organizations need to prepare themselves for a diverse workforce in all ways. And, and so we need to stand up and be counted and organizations need to meet us halfway. And when we leap, that net needs to really appear. And that's the work I honestly focus on is making sure organizations are ready so that when we, we bring our full selves, they are actually, it won't trigger biases, but it actually will trigger, you know, even more creativity, you know, even more resources and support and acknowledgement of equity issues and all those things that we haven't talked about in the past. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me. I'm here with Jennifer Brown, and she is an award-winning entrepreneur, dynamic speaker, and diversity and inclusion expert. She is the founder and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, a strategic leadership and diversity consulting firm that coaches business leaders worldwide on critical issues of talent and workplace strategy. Jennifer is a passionate advocate for social equality who helps businesses foster healthier, more productive workplace cultures. Her book, Inclusion, Diversity, the New Workplace, and the Will to Change, inspires leadership to embrace the opportunity that diversity represents and empower advocates to drive change that resonates in today's world. Jennifer's second book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, provides a step-by-step guide for the personal and emotional journey we must undertake to create an inclusive workplace where everyone can thrive. Holy smokes, hot topic. (laughs) Jennifer, (laughs) welcome to Women Taking the Lead. And please tell us a little bit more about you and how you got into this much-needed work. Sure. And it's not recent, I'll tell you that. We've been um, in the trenches for a long time. But originally, I was a nonprofit advocate activist in my 20s and always wanted to make a difference, but I was also a singer. So I got a chance to move to New York to study opera and vocal performance, which was like a dream come true. But um, when I did that and studied really hard and finished my master's in vocal performance, unfortunately, I just kept injuring my voice and you have to get um, surgery to fix that. And I just, over time and several rounds, I realized I would not have the kind of instrument that could enable a, you know, eight shows a week mm-hmm. and, you know, international travel and all the things that I had hoped for. So I, um, sadly, but sort of with resolve, I, as a performer, we're agile and I said, what else can I do with my gifts and my passion and my energy? And, uh, a couple of performer friends said, you love being in front of audiences. Why don't you consider becoming a trainer and a facilitator? And I didn't know what that was. <laughs> and I ended up getting a second master's degree because of their coaching and mentorship in organizational change and leadership and really felt that like it was the heartbeat of business. You know, it was something I could really connect into on an altruistic level, on a purpose level. And I would subsequently have some HR roles and had becoming the head of training and development. And then I got laid off and I said, you know, I think I want to work for myself. And this was 13 years ago. So I hung out my shingle. I started to do trainings and then I started to build my team. And then we pivoted towards DNI along the way there. 
uh, because I'm also a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And um, I started to realize I could bring my identity in uh, and my network of change agents that I have from that community in to my organizational change and leadership consulting and kind of make this, this combination that was enhanced, I think, by not only what we know how to do, but who, who I am um, and my own experience. And we know today, of course, thinking about this topic, that it is so much about the lived experience that some of us have and how we're seen and heard in the world world, how we, what we experience that's different because of our identities. And, and so I, I think I was able to marry all that. And that was a really incredible moment when I realized that I could actually, in a way, do the work of healing my own workplace experience of somebody having been closeted, both as a performer and then an entrep- a corporate employee, and then as an entrepreneur for a while. I mean, today I'm not, um, and I'm very much out there, but I still you know, hesitate to bring my full self into certain rooms, depending on what I see, what I perceive to be, you know, who I perceive to be in that room and uh, what they will think of me, how they might judge me, how I want to play my identity or not. Um, And that's what I teach a lot about is just the exhaustion of that. You know, that the fact that so many of us are engaging in this um, double work of managing our identity and whether we feel psychologically safe and, you know, being brilliant at what we do and, you know, being present and relaxed and creative and all those things that we, we want to be and that organizations need us to be. So it's been this like really surprisingly deep well to draw on. Um, you would think maybe, how did you go from opera singing to doing what you do now? To me, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's, it's like there's so many things that trained me to do well that I'm I'm pulling on right now. <laughs> Isn't it true though that when you're just living your own life and you're following your own interests and passions, everything makes sense and they're stepping stones. I don't know how many people have had the I've talked to that have had the experience where they look back on this career that seemed to be twisty, turny, and windy, and they say, gosh, every every next move I made led me to the next stone, like the next stepping stone and the next stepping stone. And so it seems crazy, you know, when you try to like jumble it, but at the time it's like, oh, it makes sense for me to move here. Oh, it makes sense for me to go back to school. It makes sense for me to take on this work, to build my team and, and do all these things. And there were so many things just in your introduction that I wanted to talk (laughs) about, but I'll, I'll step back a little bit. And, um, you know, something you and I were talking about before we hit record and, you know, to let the audience in on this too. So welcome everyone who's listening and thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. It's really, um, this work is life changing. Um, I shared with you that I was, um, a part of a group that was doing a 21 day racial equity challenge. So it was all about becoming aware and learning more and hearing from different perspectives. And goodness, there's so many articles and um, websites and videos that we've been watching. And one thing that um, has been made so clear to me is um, my privilege, right? Even though, you know, I can make the argument as a woman or someone who grew up poor, I was disadvantaged. I've also learned about intersectionality. Mm -hmm. And so just by knowing that just by being white, there are certain privileges, there are certain things I don't have to worry about. And and I haven't been brought up to consider, right? It's almost like we're brought up blinded by these other things because they're just not a part of our experience and they're not a part of our world. And for anyone listening, if you're getting triggered, it's human, right? This is a human, human experience. 
But what this does is it can create environments where people who are not like me are not like us don't feel included. And it's not that we're doing it intentionally. Like we might say, you know, because I know uh, being a member of a board in Maine, we're very white, right? <laughs> and and I, like, and in the beginning, we were very white. We were like a hundred percent white. And we might have said, we would love to have more women of color as a mm-hmm. part of our board, mm-hmm. but there were like things we couldn't see and things that we were doing mm. that we weren't aware of that was not making women of color feel like they were a part of our organization, like they had a voice in, you know, the work that we're doing. Right. Okay. So I'm, I mean, I'm coming back around <laughs> to my question. <laughs> You're doing good. <laughs> so this work of inclusion, it really starts with self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? Being aware um, that perhaps people are being made to feel that they're on the outside of things. And your book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, highlights the deep work that needs to be done to create an environment where everyone is welcomed, valued, respected, and heard. And you describe it as the personal and emotional journey we must undertake. You have that in your bio. So <laughs> let's call them truths. What are some of the truths that we need to face to open ourselves to becoming that inclusive leader? Mm, Well, you just brought up one, right? Which is that privilege has many different aspects to it. It's not just, it's been kind of weaponized and it's used in often relating to male privilege or white privilege. Um, and that's important to understand. There's other there's other privileges, things that make our lives easier, like our educational background, um, what we were exposed to or not growing up, our um, our mental health status on any given day. If we struggle with that, um, you know, I think in a pandemic, not having to homeschool children you know, gives me extra bandwidth to, you know, marshal in solidarity with somebody who is struggling. So I just think that we've, um, we've become much more sensitive to each other in this pandemic, which is one of those unexpected gifts of the situation. And we've seen so much about each other. You know, we've really, we've really, um, you know, trusted each other with our truths because we kind of have had to, because we've been showing up really vulnerably and and we've had no choice in many cases, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, um, you know, we needed to have that honest conversation about like not being able to hit a deadline or not, you know, needing a mental health day or a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've, I just love that we've, it's, it, I think it's sensitized us to the way we walk through the world and the what we have access to that others may not have resources, socioeconomic background. Um, yes, race and ethnicity. I mean, think about the statistics around how is COVID impacting non-white communities differentially? And how is that impacting the families and the people in our networks, on our teams, in our neighborhoods, you know, et cetera. So when we start to learn about these things, we realize there's, there's a million kinds of privilege. It just depends like what aperture you look through. And, and I think that rather than kind of sitting there and feeling super bad about it all and not talking about it, I think that's kind of gotten us into trouble because a lot of us have kind of um, opted out of the conversation because we're so uncomfortable, mm-hmm. because there's that guilt or that shame around 
um, this was maybe given to me or it's easier for me. And maybe I didn't earn it because oftentimes we don't earn these kinds of things. Sometimes we do, but a lot of times they're just given to us. Mm -hmm. They're accidents of birth. And so I, I find that it really paralyzes people. So my work is to bring people out of paralysis <laughs> to say, like the way I talk about my privilege and my, and by the way, my more marginalized identities. So I'm a woman in a male dominated business world and I've always been aware of my gender uh, when I walk in every single room. And then um, being LGBTQ+, which is an invisible aspect of my diversity unless I choose to make it visible. So those are two, two definitely, I would say, not privileged identities in sort of the current world that I, that I function in. But then I also have other privileges on the other side that I, these days, I'm really trying to talk about them in terms of things I can activate around, things I can utilize, things that I'm probably underutilizing when I think about who has relatively more obstacles in front of them? Who's facing more headwinds because of bias and microaggressions? What is my role in shifting those things? And that's where privilege can be used. It's actually, that's what it should be used for. You know, now I'm realizing when my mom said, to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And and it's clicking in for me to say, it's not something to be denied or pretend like it doesn't exist or feel embarrassed and ashamed. It's what I would like to hear is all of us say, here's how I grew up. Here's what I had access to. Here's why I felt safer. Here's um, what I was, was afforded to me. Here's how I walk through the world now with the, with greater ease. And I, I've noticed it. I am, I'm owning that. And then I'm saying, okay, now what? And when I've learned and been shown everything of this summer and this year, when I've, when I've come to understand and read and talked about this, we actually have a role to play to, to chip in in a very concrete way. So the question becomes sort of then how do I use that access, that comfort, that uh, permission that I have? Um, and, and, and activating your, around your privileges like this feels extremely, I think, proactive. It feels very much like I am participating. I'm not sitting back feeling guilty or paralyzed. I'm actually moving forward. I'm developing new skills. I'm um, checking that my impact aligns with my intent, which is really important, right? A lot of us kind of go strongly forward and say, you know, I'm an ally, you know, and, and it's allyship is, I say, you know, not something we claim. It is, um, it is given to us if we earn it by people who are impacted, right? So it's something we earn constantly. And um, I just have felt so like the, the big aha is that I can be all of these things. Like I can have the identities that need allyship so much, and then I can provide that solidarity too. Mm. Um, and those are like ways I can use everything that I am, like all the parts of who I am, like nothing is wasted. Nothing is like you were saying earlier, when we look back on our career paths, right? Nothing is wasted. It just might take a while to understand like, what was the message of that? What was the learning I was supposed to have? Same thing. I think with, with drawing on our identities as assets, you know, when we are vulnerable about something, when we've overcome something challenging, when we talk about that, it, it literally connects us to others in a way that deepens our trust in our relationships. Um, and when particularly, I would say like white male straight leaders do that, it is very powerful. So some of the workshops we do are, I, I challenge people to say, you know, what is your diversity story? What do you know about this? Like how has it impacted you or your loved ones? 
and things come out that are really surprising that are always educating me um, because it, this is not just something some of us understand. I think there's a way we can involve all of who we are in this work. Jennifer, the, mm, this conversation, <laughs> oh my goodness. I was like, okay, there, there are three things I want, I want to address in what you said that have like clicked off in my head and hopefully I'll be able to remember all of them. I have had the experience as um, a recovering perfectionist, I like to say, oh, perhaps yes. perfectionist, you know, um, you know, and as a white woman of this experience of just tell me what to say. Just tell me what to do. Help me get it right. You know, I don't want to yeah. mess up. I want to do the right thing. And <laughs> that's a fight you can't win, right? That, that like, is so that, true. That Thank is, you for saying that. Because <laughs> you can't. It's not about saying the right thing. It's not about, you know, doing the right thing. But there can be that resistance at first of like, I don't want to do anything or say anything because I'm going to get it wrong. And we have to embrace that as a part of this work and the conversation. Um, so I love, I love that you brought that up where we just have to face that. Like, we just don't, we have to just put ourselves in that messy, like we're probably going to get it wrong, but that's okay. We can learn, we can acknowledge it. Um, and move on from there. And boy, like, I think my brain exploded at first when you had brought up, like, there are some things I can be an ally for and sometimes things I need allyship for. And then Mm -hmm. when I realized like, oh my gosh, I'm in that same boat too. And we're, most of us are in that boat where we can be an ally to others if we earn it. And we need others to be our allies in order to you know, get that equity that we're looking for. And it really brought me back to, in my career, some of the men who advocated for me and allow and mentored me and allowed for me to rise through the ranks in my organization that without their saying yes and putting their stamp of approval on me, which they didn't have to do, I could have easily have gotten stuck. And, you know, this isn't, I'm going to come back to, I, I truly believe that, gender issues specifically um, are not really gender issues. They're cultural issues. It's not men against women. It's like we were brought up in the same soup and we're dealing with that. Um, And then, okay, so you said the word allyship, which was something I definitely wanted you to address. And and for those who who can't see, because you're listening, uh, Jennifer and I can see each other. When she said allyship, she she patted her chest like, I've earned the badge. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're right. (laughs) I earned the the allyship badge, but you know, but it, it is something you have to earn. And a couple of terms in allyship that have been thrown around, and I want to make sure everyone who's listening is is clear on them, is performative versus authentic allyship. So if you could, you know, cover for everyone, what is the difference between the two? And then also, what are some of the ways that we can be an authentic ally for others as leaders in our workplaces? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, And it's a mouthful, performative allyship um, is, I think, a, a chief complaint on, on the part of a lot of, of our loved ones and, and community members, you know, in, of, you know, who identify as black and brown and LGBTQ to say, like, you're, you're an ally when it's convenient for you. Or maybe um, you say a statement and you don't 
really like walk the talk on a on a long term basis, right? So we saw we saw companies this summer do performative allyship, right? It was maybe the Black Lives Matter post, and meantime, everybody in that workplace is sort of rolling their eyes because the work they know the work hasn't been being done internally. So that's sort of the ultimate. I think example of performative, um, meaning it's when it's convenient, it's when it's easy. When people are looking. Yes, exactly. Right. It's sort of the optics of it. And the really unglamorous work is the inside work, right? It's the, it is the, you know, failing forward, getting it wrong, not being a perfectionist, coming back and trying it again. Like that's hard stuff. And that's that kind of the opposite of performative, right? Which is I'm in it. I'm in the soup. I'm swimming around. I may feel like I'm drowning sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm in it and I'm not going to like seek the safety of the shore. Like I'm going, I'm literally like, I'm in it, whatever is needed. I'm here to do that. And by the way, I'm doing my own work. I'm not just like leaning on others to teach me, you know, that can also be a little performative, like checking in with your black friends, you know, that when it's like for the friend, they're like, this is really out of the blue with no context. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a little bit of that too. It was what we call virtue signaling, uh, which is sort of signaling like my intent to be an ally. Um, but again, like all of this involves, I think, looking underneath behind the curtain, like underneath deeper in ourselves to say on a daily basis, what can I practice? What can I do today towards my goal of being someday seen and considered to be an ally? And another word we really like is accomplice. So accomplice has a bit of a different energy to it. I think it's um, accomplice feels to me sort of like I'm alongside you and I'm co-conspiring to change things with you. Ally can sometimes feel a little like the knight in shining armor, like savior sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And also sometimes we talk about allyship in terms of power dynamics and differences. So uh, the sharing of power uh, between people who have it and people who don't, which is not, by the way, a bad thing, but it's it's an aspect of it. But if you do too much of the, I'm going to bestow what I have or share what I have, I, I, I think that's a bit, um, it's assuming that it's not more of a mutual relationship. Mm-hmm. I think accomplice has a beautiful mutuality to it. Um, and to your point that you heard in what I said, the sort of the needing of each other, right? The, the dependence on each other that, you know, ideally we move forward together and one plus one equals three on this mm-hmm. journey. Um, but there is some work that we need to do, like you're in your group. And I would say that work as, as a majority white woman group, I'm assuming, um, mm-hmm. is, is incredibly important that you're, what you're doing is literally, you're doing your homework and you're upping your, your ally and accomplice skills in those conversations. And you're doing it with each other so that you're not causing harm to others who are sitting around and feel that you're always looking to them for the answers. You're always right. like, right? Relying, you're doing your work yourselves. And I really, I really commend that. And I honestly think that's, that is kind of that middle piece to our growth. We've got to find communities of learning for ourselves where we can kind of crash around, like, here's what I did and here's what didn't go well. And do you know, how did you do this? And have you tried this? And what might I say differently? Or it didn't have the impact I wanted you know, why? Um, and there's a lot of that, 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 you know, people that look like you and me can do. 
Um, and then by the time we sort of take it on the road, we're more practiced, we're more comfortable, we're more prepared. You know, we know, we know the, um, the impact that's needed. And I think that's the, the, the vacuum a lot of us are in after this summer is what I'm hearing is I, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lean on others to help coach me because I've heard that and I understand that the burden right now is really intense on some of us. So, you know, there is a bit of a conundrum there or contradiction there because um, at the same time as we're saying we need to do our homework and be prepared and build the muscle and not show up perfectly, but show up having done homework. (laughs) Like, you know, that's a great distinction. That's it. Right. That's it. That's all is expected. But, um, but some people don't even do the homework and just show up and hope to be the ally. Right. And that's, I think what we're, I think that's what we're trying to kind of correct for. Um, so yeah, I think the grace that we need to show each other though, on our learning journey is so critical. And that can be really hard because feelings are really high right now. Reality is very difficult for more difficult for some of us than others. You know, some of us are shielded. Some of us can opt out of, you know, protesting. For example, we can opt out of, you know, the quote unquote work and we can retreat into comfort. And I think even noticing that those choices are choices we make. Um, and I'm not saying we can never, never step at, step back to do some self-care. I think that's actually really important and that should be available to all of us. But, you know, thinking about how we pace ourselves to develop this muscle I'm talking about and, you know, um, not get overwhelmed, not get paralyzed, um, prepare, and then take feedback in a beautifully gracious way and not kind of personalize it and get really fragile about it. So that's the other really for me, big piece is when I intend so much to be helpful and I get something wrong, it devastates me. It just like sidelines me. It like, Mm -hmm. I just go down the shame spiral. Um, and so maybe some of your listeners are, can relate, you know, because it's something you so desperately want, but you're so far from perfect. And the worst thing you could possibly imagine is causing any kind of harm right now when you know so much harm is happening and has happened. So, yeah. So I think that this is this nugget that I sit with a lot, which is like, how do we, how do we take what the learnings we need? How do we not make it about ourselves? But, but those feelings are real. How do we move through them in a productive way and not deny them because they're going to happen? Because you know what it is, it's our fight and flight and freeze mechanism. Like that's our deepest, you know, primal brain. It's going to happen. But what I don't want is a generation of potential allies going back to sleep. So let's not go back to sleep, but let's be honest about what that, what this journey feels like um, and talk about these pieces so that we don't, we see them for what they are and yet we persist and yet we come back. And I love Carol Dweck's work. She wrote growth mindset. It's fail forward. Mm-hmm. we're going to fail forward. <laughs> we're going to yes. do it together. And by the way, there's nobody else in this world who hasn't also failed forward in their own learning journey. You know, there's nobody that's a, that's a finished product. I mean, many people in my network, non-white friends of mine have been on a massive learning journey about LGBTQ plus issues, like going from literally not knowing anything and saying harmful things to getting on the train, to doing their homework, to like being in relationship with me 
and now being this proud aspiring ally that it like is it like warms my heart and and so like we can all come to this work about different identities that aren't our lived experience and i think that's what's so cool about um you know the 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 mutual destination that we're all trying to to reach not reachable it's really about the journey um but it is but the learning never stops. And as the world continues to change, there's more diversity dimensions that we, like mental health, we don't even know how to talk about that in the workplace. No. Um, parenting issues is a challenge, challenge now, always has been, but now is exacerbated. But there's still, I think, a lot of shame around that. Um, abilities issues, hidden disabilities um, you know, there's stigma, stigma around military background and what veterans experience in the workplace as they try to transition into the civilian world. Like it just goes on and on. Like this <laughs> stuff is, is I, I love it because it's like the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> it really is. And I think that was like my initial experience when we really started going into the work, uh, you know, as a board for the main women's conference, just to yeah. put it in context, when we really got committed, like, you know, there was the intention at first. We have this mm. intention. And then we were like, this isn't working. Having a good intention is not getting us anywhere. We need to commit to this. And so when the commitment was there and we started really diving into what does it mean, you know, to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive, it was Pandora's box. It was like, oh my goodness, there's this wow. and there's this and there's this. And then, okay, this isn't just a skin color issue. This isn't just about, you know, um, you know, making our conference more accessible. Like this is like, it's holistic and it's going to take some time and there are layers to it, you know? And I think that's the thing is, um, you know, another thing and what you had said earlier that came up for me is like, it can be frustrating because I love to take action. Like, tell me what I can do and I'll do it. You know, like I'll just get it done. But really the work here is, educate yourself, become more aware, right? That, that is the first step, but know that as you are educating yourself and putting yourself into caucuses and cohorts and Mm. whatever it is, book clubs and Mm. having these conversations and doing the research that opportunities start presenting themselves and you learn more about what you can do to be an authentic ally, you know, and to do good work and to collaborate with others um, to bring this work forward. There's one question I definitely want to ask you before we run out of time. And you touched on this in the beginning, in the intro. Um, you talked about being a part of the LGBTQ plus community and how you know, sometimes you have to decide whether or not this is something that you disclose. And I know that one thing in um, your materials talks about how um, there are benefits to bringing our whole self to work and that when we hide aspects of ourselves, there's something that goes missing for us and for others in our workplaces, you know. And so to underscore it all, you know, you advocate that it's important that we bring our full selves to our work. So tell us, tell us what that means and and how, how does that work play out? Oh, it's interesting. And it's not even just to work, right? Sometimes I I realize these are life skills. These are parenting skills. These are community skills, right? We all lead anytime you're in community with at least one other person trying to achieve something you're in, you're in a leadership role. I mean, you're leading yourself, right? Um, but yeah, when I realized how many of us are covering in the workplace, meaning we're downplaying 
parts of our identity that can be visible, by the way, like I'm visibly a female identified person, but I can very intentionally not talk about quote unquote things that might remind people that I'm female interests, role in the family, um, you know, parenting, um, things like that. So, so we actually get very good, I think, at sensing that there will be a bias that we're going to encounter. And um, we either sanitize ourselves or we just downright hide and don't talk about something. In the gay community, we've always called this being closeted. Closeted means um, more traditionally, like just literally not being out to people. But covering is more subtle. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a downplaying or a minimization so that you um, don't highlight your difference, but your difference may be very obvious. Like if I'm a black woman, you know, you see that I'm a woman and you see that I'm black. There's nothing I can do about that, but I can sort of never talk about those things. I can sort of avoid other black women for example, and sort of association-based covering. Or I can um, not raise a comment or a joke or a phrase that is a microaggression, right? Because I, I want to distance myself from that because I don't want to be assumed to be the angry, quote-unquote, or somebody who's, who's biased towards people that look like me or identify as me. So there's a lot of this, like these, this energy-sucking activity that's going on And there's research that shows this um, that was done by Deloitte. The paper is called Uncovering Talent. And I always reference it. And it's so, it's just so meaningful to people on a variety of dimensions. And I think, so bringing our whole self to work um, can be problematic. It can actually hurt, um, remind people of our difference, remind us of the stigma, and um, actually derail us in other people's eyes in terms of our potential and our performance and, and also make us feel really small. Because I think when we downplay parts of who we are that we're actually really there that are important to us, um, it, it, I think it internally makes us feel less confident that those matter, that they're important, and they may have played a very big role in who we are. And so we are literally wrestling constantly. And I, I call this like working double time. It's literally the tax we pay on, pe- on being different. But the thing is, we're not alone. There's a lot of us, especially with hidden diversity dimensions that nobody is saying anything about. And therefore, we can't find community. We can't realize that we're actually not alone. And then we also, when we bring our fuller selves to work in community, which is safer, then organizations need to listen to us. They need to realize that we are everywhere. You know, when we're LGBTQ and we're closeted, we actually don't know that anybody else is in the organization like us. And that can be a tremendously dangerous and isolating place to be. So I think that um, it's twofold. It's, it's being brave and courageous enough to bring our full selves because we know that there are others that need to see us doing that. And it will enable the connection of community, right? But then organizations need to prepare themselves for a diverse workforce in all ways. And, and so we need to stand up and be counted and organizations need to meet us halfway. And when we leap, that net needs to really appear. And that's the work I honestly focus on is making sure organizations are ready so that when we, we bring our full selves, they are actually, it won't trigger biases, but it actually will trigger, you know, even more creativity, you know, even more resources and support and acknowledgement of equity issues and all those things that we haven't talked about in the past. So, you know, that's my nirvana, you know, is that all of that happens together and we can all move forward, both individuals and organizations and also the organizations where we, we work, play, live and thrive. 
Awesome. There's an opportunity here. Do the work now. Get ready now because that day is coming. And so for those of you who are listening, I know know your ears are perking and you want more information. And I just want to underscore Jennifer's second book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader. This should be on your nightstand. So grab it, gift it. And for those of you who work within organizations and you know your organization could utilize Jennifer's expertise and experience and training, please reach out to her. Jennifer, that's a great segue. Tell everyone how they can connect with you. Thank you. Yes. um, Thanks for that. So the book is How to Be an Inclusive Leader. My podcast is called The Will to Change. So tons of really great guests on there. And then um, Jennifer Brown Consulting is our uh, consulting company side of the house. And then Jennifer Brown Speaks is my author speaking podcast site. Um, In social media, I'm at Jennifer Brown on Twitter, at Jennifer Brown Speaks on Instagram. um, And on LinkedIn and Facebook, you'll find me. I'm really kind of everywhere. You are easy to find. I'm going to say that. And for those of you who are out for a run or driving in your car, do not worry. You know you can find the links to this episode at womentakingthelead.com. You can put Jennifer Brown in the search bar at the top and her show notes page will come right up. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. So here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous, Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.